is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. A lot of you have noticed in the news, I'm sure, that the state of Illinois is teetering on the brink of actually having its uh, status reduced to that of junk status by the bond rating agencies. And sometimes that probably seems like, what does that really mean and why does it matter to me? I'm going to tell you in this First Five tonight how important it is and why it matters to you. This is like the canary in the coal mine. This is a state that is, you know, like similar states. Other states have budget problems, a budget shortfall. They have debt. But what's actually occurring in Illinois, the problem is so extreme that the state may have their be considered like junk status, a junk bond. And the reason that matters is this. In Illinois, if they get this status, every time they go to borrow money, for example— They go to borrow money, just like you, the parallel to your individual credit. If you got to the point you had terrible credit rating and you go to a bank to borrow money, they're going to make that money more expensive for you to borrow because you're a bigger risk. People with good credit get better credit terms. Same with the state of Illinois. So the impact on residents of the state is that as they try to go forward with getting loans that even cover their expenses, it's going to cost Illinois, which means cost the Illinois taxpayers more and more and more money. And to our listeners in Peoria, Illinois, I understand this is not the fault of individual residents. This is the fault of decades and decades of Democrat leadership in that state and around the country where all of politics consists of is promises to people that they have some kind of fiscal fantasy um whatever you want to call it, fiscal fantasy finance, where they're saying, don't worry, things cost money, but we, the Democrat Party, can make it free. We can provide you things for free. We can uh, improve your life, give you your housing and everything you need, and it'll all be free. And the notion has been implanted in the minds of many voters. Some specifics on Illinois that I want to share with you. They have a massive problem with their, their pension funding. Some estimates say it's up to $100 billion with a B and that their pension funds are underfunded. They've already had the Illinois Supreme Court say they cannot by statute change that because the Illinois state constitution says the legislature cannot renege on any of those obligations. So here you have Illinois with the obligations that they cannot meet. And how extreme this is, they cannot pay, and I'm going to read you a quote from the Illinois Comptroller, Susanna Mendoza. She says, and by the way, why this is so urgent right now, it is June 30th is their deadline to come up with a new budget. And the problem is they have no money to create a new budget. They have now a Republican governor, a heavily Democrat-controlled legislature, no agreement anyway on what to do, but the simple fact is they don't have money to meet their obligations. So Susanna Mendoza, again, the Illinois Comptroller, said in the state of August, in, in the month of August, just the month of August, they'd be $185 million short of what they need just to make payments required by court orders, consent decrees, and state law. In one month, just those absolutely required things. And so this is not, and they will also, said the controller, have to start in August shutting down state run nursing homes. 
the last resort of the poor when they have to put their elderly family members somewhere and they're often not the first choice, but at least they're a safe place and be cared for, they're going to have to shut them down. So this is getting serious. I'm going to turn to why it matters to you. Okay, one more thing about, you know, the Democrats' fiscal fantasy financing. We had actually two examples very quickly. New York State just passed a law saying that college is free. It's, it's limited in the number. Who, it's, it's your parents who are in 125000 or less but making trying to make college free. Liberals are already complaining about the limits on that. And the state of California floated a bill. The legislature it put a bill in the Senate. It actually went to a Senate committee to make all health care free in California. Do you think there's any incentive for people crossing the border to come to a state where health care is free for everyone? They had to pull the bill. They called it due to fatal flaws. A Democrat sponsors called due to fatal flaws just because it didn't do things like explain how to pay for this boondoggle. It didn't encompass cost controls, and it did not have describe how care would be delivered. It was a silly fantasy bill, but this is the kind of bill that Democrats propose and we're going to go forward with. So back to the state of Illinois. What's going to happen, and we'll talk about this as, it, as we go forward, what's going to happen is Illinois is going to ask the federal government to bail them out. Mark my words, they'll ask the federal government to bail them out. Our job as fiscal conservatives, as responsible Americans, is to tell our government, no, you cannot be bailing out this state that made impossibly ridiculous commitments to unions and, and for pension funds that has not been able to rein in. We need to let them go under. I don't mean hurt them, but let the state go under, get the, you know, the uh, equal shave for all that happens under bankruptcy laws. And get that state back under functioning in the way that the rest of us in America have to function, which is live within our means. And this is, again, the canary in the coal mine, folks, because this is happening in California and other states where finally the from the chickens coming to roost, you can't you can't keep promising things you can't pay for. I'm Debbie George Ash. This is America Can We Talk. We come back. I want to talk about Karen Handel winning in Georgia and just how she was treated by liberals who say they stand for the woman. Don't go away. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. 
We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I want to do a few quick housekeeping items before we launch into the Karen Handel election. Uh, one is that we have a 24-7 call-in line. Uh, and so if you, any point during the week, want to leave a question or comment, you're certainly welcome to do that. And you can write it down as 214-556-5659. Okay, so I made updates. You know how you get these notices? Oh, update your system. I'll click updates. And you're always thinking, dang, should I do it? Because sometimes <laughs> updates mess you up. So we hit the update button and uh, it eviscerated my recording, you know, that says, hi, this is Debbie Georgettas, America, can we talk? Now it's just a, you know, machine generated recording. It's still the correct number. If we figure out how to put a message in there again, we will. But please feel free to leave messages at 214-556-5659. We played in the show before. Questions for upcoming guests, very welcome. Second is we have a new thing. If you uh, have your cell phone available or you just can write this down, if you text the word America, just the word America, 
to 53445, I now have a text service. And so I send out a notice via text saying, hey, tune in tonight. And I remind people when the show's on, who's the guest. So I'd love to have you join our text list. I will promise on my Girl Scouts honor, and I was a Girl Scout, that we will not inundate you. It's one at the most two texts a week. The other thing we do with our text service is we do a little bit of polling. So I hope you will uh, text to 53445. Just text the word America. Third thing is next week I'm doing this show from San Diego. And I won't say anything. I won't brag about the weather or anything, I promise. But I will be out in San Diego doing the show live. And I hope you'll tune in next week, too. Okay. So, you know, in the opening five, I talked about the situation in Illinois. And right now, my roundtable is going to join me in just a moment. I have Kirby Anderson, Lori Medina, both been on several times, or Lori many times, and Kirby numerous times, too, and love having them both. I want to finish with something from the first five. I do believe that Republicans start need to start speaking in more we cannot wait for the Democrats to decide to be fiscally responsible. They're going to live in their fiscal fantasy world because it is, it is the way they get votes. So Republicans need to be starting to speak up and talking about, you know, truthfully, at the national level, we simply can't do what we're doing. We cannot have $20 trillion in debt. We cannot have deficit spending every single time. We have to bring our financial house in order. And this is going to take major league leadership. And in part, that leadership is needed because during the primary last year, you had Bernie Sanders, a socialist, running on the Democrat side and encouraging young people to think that they're entitled to more and more free things. He is a single-payer socialized medicine guy. He's a free college for all guy. And he has created, and the Democrats have created a monster, a wide swath of millennials who think the purpose of government is to pay for things for them. And I read a stat, Washington Post had a long story about it. Essentially, during the primary last year, Bernie Sanders got more millennial votes than Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton combined. Just think about the number of voters out there who become involved in politics and think, yeah, the purpose of politics is to pay for things, for someone to make my life easy, make things free for me. This is why this really does matter to you, that the the, um, the Illinois problem is really, uh, it's as I say, it's a canary in the coal mine. It's a signal of the major battle we have ahead of us trying to reinstate the normalcy of fiscal responsibility in this country. We have a long way to go on it, and I really hope that if we get to the point, which I think is inevitable, that Illinois will ask to be bailed out that um, our, our government says, no, actually, we don't have any money either. We're broke, too. Okay, so I'm going to turn to Karen Handel. There was a great uh, surprise and um, uh, relief and everything, I think, this week that now the five elections that have occurred in the uh, since the time that Donald Trump won the presidency last year, we've had five different seats that came open for a variety of reasons. And in the state of Georgia, we had um, Karen Handel winning uh, Georgia's special election in Georgia's District 6, and that was a seat vacated by Tom Price, who was appointed by President Trump to be the Secretary of Health and Human Services. What I want to say about that, and you guys can chime in if you want, but one thing I want to say about Karen Handel, and I've said this in my show many times, the Democrats and the liberals and the Hollywood elite and the academia will always claim their left-wing thinking is what is, you know, that we are for women, we stand for women, we, are, we, you know, we stand with women. And I want to say again, which, may, which I've said this many times, but it's really important to get this point and to share with your friends. Liberals and Democrats do not stand up for women. And they do not stand up for minorities. They stand up for radical left-wing views. 
because Karen Handel was a Republican, and so all these Hollywood types just could not stand her, the ugliness she got at the hands of many famous people in Hollywood, Sarah Silverman, Deborah Messing, all sorts of Hollywood elites piled on her because she isn't their kind of woman. Because she's so, And I want to, it's really important to get that. Lots of conservative women wouldn't think of supporting a Democrat. And, and so understand the, America, the, the American left does not stand for women. They stand for left ideas. So anyway, the other thing this is that the, I think Lori want probably want to chime in this one, but you know, the the whole effort, I mean, there was the number, I've lost it, 20 million or so was spent, no, more than that was spent on this race in Georgia's special election. Hollywood, in fact, Planned Parenthood put in $750,000 trying to make sure the Democrat John Ossoff won, or whatever his name was, last name was Ossoff, uh, and that the Republican Karen Handel would lose. So Planned Parenthood was in on it. Hollywood, at the end of the day, Karen Handel ate their lunch and won that seat. And I thought it was a big signal that much as every, the left is trying to say, you know, America's with us, America's not with them. You know, there were so many lessons coming out of this, this special election. Um, you know, I and of course, because it's politics and it's America, uh, whatever your paradigm is, that's the slant you're going to take out of it. <laughs> that's right. Quite frankly, um, so you know the 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 Trump people will say, well, it's because of Trump. It's you know people love Trump, and that's why uh, Karen Handel won. Uh, you know, I mean, and then and then the the Ossoff people they said, well, it's because America is so bigoted that that's why Ossoff lost. You know, I'm sorry, bigoted. Why? Because he's Jewish. Is that, I don't even know what, what the problem. Is. Oh even... no, just because, just because we because didn't you know we're uh, if you vote for Republican then you must be bigoted. Oh I mean, okay, that's... just generally yeah. speaking. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. There's no specific. It's just because you know we just you know we want borders and that kind of thing. So um, you know it was funny because they had the hashtag all over social media and it was hashtag vote your ass off and it was because it was o s s o f f that's his last name but yes so I'm, there's no cursing on this show so <laughs> right. uh yeah so the next day i i wrote on twitter i said i guess you didn't hashtag vote your ass off so <laughs> <laughs> uh so it didn't work um but you know i i really don't think this had anything to do with trump sorry trumpsters out there i really don't i think it had to do with the fact that uh, Americans simply don't get on board with this crazy, whacked-out liberal policies that this John Ossoff represented and the people that were giving him money. You know, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting is they didn't let him be a little bit more of a conservative. I mean, there was a time right. in Georgia where Sam Nunn, who is a conservative Democrat, but they on whether it's the issue of abortion, gun control, immigration, whatever, remember again that Karen Handel is the one who was with the Komen Foundation mm-hmm. that actually wanted to defund Planned Parenthood. So in some respects, it's not surprising that Planned Parenthood almost spent a million dollars against her because she was a target. But nevertheless, even so, all he had to do somewhere along the line is maybe say, you know, I do recognize that maybe we need to rethink some of our immigration policies or maybe we don't need to be so strict about trying to ban all the guns. This is the sixth district in Georgia. This is one that Newt Gingrich had. Of course, it's been redistricted since then. It's Tom Price's district. And to run an individual who is just your typical left-wing liberal, I'm surprised he got the votes that he did. And so uh, this is, I think, an illustration of when it comes to the Democratic Party, there is not a big tent. 
you can't be a pro-life Democrat anymore. You can't be even an anti-gun control Democrat anymore. Bernie Sanders, who we mentioned just a minute ago, found that out because yeah. I'm going to be next week up in Vermont. And up there, he really didn't have that much concern about guns because, after all, that's a state where you actually have an opportunity to exercise your Second Amendment. But the Democratic Party will not allow that. And that's why when you add it all up, I think it was $50 million that was spent on a congressional campaign. And most expensive in American history. Most expensive. I will say a couple of things about the the place of um, a place of how much I think that maybe Donald Trump had to do with it or not. One is that we have very close friends we've known for years and years who live in Atlanta in that district. And so the and they're not particularly political. You know, the, the husband. Anyway, they're not political particularly, but they're very wonderful friends, wonderful friends. The wife texted me to say during that day on the election day to say, I am so sick of this election. We've had people from California calling us on the phone. On and on and on and on and on. You know, people walking up and down the streets looking for someone. Have you voted yet? Can you vote? I mean, they were just inundated, and she was sick of it. And then, as Kirby mentioned, this is, generally speaking, even though it's been a little bit redistrict, it's, it's, a, it's a Republican district. So I think the victory for Trump was that I think that a lot of Repub- a lot of Democrats and liberals want to say, you know, even the Republicans can't stand Trump. They hate him so much that they thought they had this Trump, anti Trump fervor that was just going to result in a pouncing onto this election and electing a Democrat, and that didn't happen. I think the message was at least the people who elected Trump aren't that mad at him. I mean, I'll, I'll give him that much. I don't think it's. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're actually low, out of time here. Okay, so we have. Wait, don't go away. We have a great guest coming up right after the break. Brandon Logan. I heard him speak this week. A, the, a guy from Texas Public Policy Foundation. Unbelievable stuff about foster care, not just in Texas but all over America. Don't go away. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. 
So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Did you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. So glad you've tuned in tonight. This is Debbie Georgiatis, my Right View Roundtable right here with me, Lori Medina, Kirby Anderson. And we have on the phone someone I mentioned right before the break named Brandon Logan. And before I even introduce him, I just want to tell you a little bit more about him. On this show, we have an advertisement for Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is kind of the Heritage Foundation of Texas. It is a conservative think tank. It is a fabulous organization. We went to one of their information sharing sessions this past week and heard Brandon Logan speak. He's the director of the Center for Families and Children. And honestly, I didn't even know TPPF had such a section. I'm aware of their work. I love their work. So I got all excited about that, went home, read a bunch of stuff, invited Brandon to join us because I want to talk about an issue that's kind of not, it's not covered a lot in conservative circles, but that is what is a conservative solution or answer in dealing with things like child protective services and protecting abused children. So good evening. Welcome, Brandon. 
Thanks, Debbie. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're on. So, you know, just to start with, the director, your director of the Center for Families and Children, also, so our listeners know, Brandon has served as an attorney in the child welfare courts. He's a certified child welfare law specialist. Um, he's really quite experienced in this arena of law. So, just overall, I'm curious if you can tell me, is there a standard or an approach you take as a conservative dealing with child protective services law in Texas? Sure. I, I think overall, the um, the it's a principle of our foundation that the important aspect here is to increase personal responsibility. A lot of times um, that includes parents. And, you know, the research is replete with examples and evidence that children remaining in a safe and stable home with parents uh, is better than a lot of the other alternatives that we explore in this realm of child protective services. Well, actually, that's one of the main things I wanted to hit on. In fact, I was telling Lori and Kirby when they got here getting set up tonight, I did not know a lot of the facts I learned in reading your just a couple of articles that were on the Texas Public Policy uh, website, which is texaspolicy.com, right? Right. Okay. So one thing, I will say that I think the general notion everybody wants to you know protect children. So you want to remove children if they are if their life is in danger. You want to be sure that we, we do that. But one thing that I, I had not really realized was that there was a— um, this is it relating to Texas. In December of 2015, a federal judge declared that rape, abuse, psychotropic medication, and instability are the norm in the Texas foster care system, and that the state had been deliberately indifferent to that fact for decades. I, I find that astonishing. I mean, first of all, is that an overstatement, do you think, what that judge found? Uh, I don't think that's an overstatement at all. That has been my experience in representing children, parents, foster parents, Throughout the state of Texas for over a, uh, a decade is that um, you know, foster care is dangerous. Evidence would show that it's actually more dangerous than uh, remaining in a parent uh, with a parent in a home. Okay, so that the, I want to hit on numbers and then these other studies okay. that you mentioned. You testified. In fact, I'm going to refer our listeners again. Everything we're talking about tonight is already up on the website, americachemitalk.org. Quick links to all of these. And just Brandon testified, and we're speaking, if you're just tuning in, with Brandon Logan, who was the Texas Public Policy Foundation, testified before the House Juvenile Justice um, Committee in Texas. Um, and then these issues, by the way, I'm talking about Texas, but this is relevant everywhere in the country is what do you do as a, you know, as a family promoting conservative to protect children, but yet try to keep family intact, families intact as best you can. This, um, uh, this study that it was, you, you mentioned several studies in here, but one of them had to basically made the argument that removal of children, even if they are neglected, is harmful to children, that they have a better outcome staying with the family and trying to help the family improve. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, the, you know, the, the point at which we believe that the state should be involved in its coercive power in families is where the child is at imminent risk of physical uh, injury uh, or, or harm. And that's actually what the family code says. It's just um, not exactly what's practiced. And so what we're talking about here is what about being in a less than ideal home? And is a, being in a less than ideal home where you may have a, a lack of housing stability, there may be some degree of food instability, 
is that better or worse than being taken away from your parents and put in a different and perhaps maybe from the outside um, better home without housing instability, without food instability? And the research says no. The research says that um, being with your biological parents in a less than ideal home um, is better than than these alternatives that we explore, foster care, adoption. Brandon, can you maybe tell us for just a few minutes of what would be the cause sometimes for taking children out of the home? Because sometimes the causes seem to be pretty frivolous, that uh, the homeschooling turned into home fooling, or a parent uh, spanked a child at Walmart. And it seems to me that at least in some cases, at least that we've covered on our program, the Child Protective Services, I have kind of when in doubt, yank them out. Well, they do have that uh, philosophy too much of the time. Um, you know, whenever people think of Child Protective Services, and the media doesn't help with this narrative because every article you read in the Dallas Morning News and some of these other media outlets is about, uh, and there's I've seen a dozen of them this weekend, is about children who were um, horribly uh, abused by parents. That's not who the 30,000 children in our CPS system and our foster care system is for the most part. 85% of those children are there for neglectful supervision. And of course there's a range like there is anything um, in that range and the data that CPS keeps uh, it doesn't allow us to really dig down into that very much. So I do rely on my anecdotal evidence from over a decade of practice, that sometimes children get picked up seriously for playing outside unsupervised um, or for, um, uh, you know, being left in the home for a very short period of time while someone runs next door. I've seen the case where, and this, you know, this is a tough, these are tough questions, and I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not. Um, I've seen cases where, where children are left in a car with the engine running while someone runs into a store um, that's where the car is parked right in front of the store. And that is considered to be a failure of parenting supervision. You know, these it's an interesting thing. I, if, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I recalled something in the presentation I mentioned we went to this week. There's some federal money involved in some of this where there's a little bit of an incentive for the state of Texas to make decisions that may cause federal money to come down to Texas. Uh, that, so it, it steers the decisions toward removal. Is that right? That, that's true, and that is what's really turned our child protective ecosystem to what it is now. Uh, you know, before about 1940, the you know, neighbors and, and churches and communities watched out for each other's kids, and this was sort of something that we dealt with at a local level. Um, and then the Social Security Act was passed, and specifically Title IV-E of the Act, which um, provides money to states, matching funds to states, to pay for child welfare services. And of our $4.2 billion DFPS budget, uh, about 60% of that budget is federal dollars. However, those federal dollars are only available whenever children are removed from their home and placed into foster care. And it gets worse, those federal dollars aren't available for every child removed from their home and placed in foster care in Texas. A child is only eligible for federal uh, drawdown money, for Title IV money, if the child is removed from a home that has 
uh, that is within the 130 percent of the federal poverty level and is considered parent deprived. So not both biological parents living together, which again can explain why most of the children we have in our foster care system are removed from homes where there's poverty and a lack of both parents in the home. Oh, my gosh. We are going to come up on a break here in just a moment. Brandon, are you able to hold on during the break? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, just a four-minute break. But, um, you know, when we come back, I just want to get out a little more. You know, if you do keep kids in homes where they have some not model parenting, you have something less than model parenting, but they aren't imminent risk of harm or death or, or illness, what can you do as the state? What can you do to try to, to help that family that, that is less intrusive than removing the child? Is that an avenue? And I just, I guess overall, when we come back, want to hear what Texas Public Policy Foundation suggestions are in terms of revising Texas state law relating to kids in foster care. This is Debbie George Dias, America Can We Talk? We'll be right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in health care, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private, free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition and the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. 
First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. We're so glad tonight to be joined on the phone by our guest from Texas Public Policy Foundation, Brandon Logan. I have my Right View Roundtable, Kirby Anderson, Lori Medina. So, Brandon, um, this is really so much of what I read on your, on your website was news to me, um, including that. And we were just talking about in the break um, while you were so kind to hold on, talking about the study that came out of Cook County, Illinois, uh, but it was basically about comparing kids who come from a home. It was uh, comparing kids uh, placed in foster care and contrasting them with other children investigated for neglect or abuse, but not removed. So like, some kids investigated for abuse or neglect of some kind remained in the, their parents' home, other ones removed, and that the outcomes, long-term outcome between the groups that in, got around to including uh, juvenile delinquency, teen motherhood, employment problems, and earnings the group that did worse was the group put in foster care, which supposedly would you know would have been done to try to give them a better life, and they had worse outcomes than the kids that were left with their parents, and, and even though they were less than perfect. So I, I guess the message of that is that kids, unless there's an extreme reason, kids are better off with their parents. Is that how you see it? Well, that's exactly how I see it, and it also testifies to how uh, poor our foster care services are. I mean. We talk about the instability of parents. Um, I've had children, clients of mine, who were children removed because, you know, the parents were homeless living in a vehicle um, or homeless living in a motel. But then they get into CPS and they will have, you know, eight, nine, ten placement changes, and they'll be in foster care for, you know, a year, two years, three years, um, and so there's actually less stability in this bureaucratic system, this faceless bureaucratic system where children really don't have the relationship where they have with their parents, then there is risk in living in a van with your parents or living in a motel room with your parents. 
Wow. So I want to ask you, so what do you do if you decide, if we all concluding with all this evidence that kids need, they're better off with their parents, but there are parents who are, you know, that you, you gave some examples earlier where, you know, as viewed as potentially as neglect, if you leave the kids in the front seat of the car with the car running, you run the grocery store and come back out in a minute, and that might be t- temporarily considered uh, neglectful. But, you know, for parents where there really is a problem, but it's yep. not immediate risk to the child, what can CPS do in those fam- with those families? Well, those are most of our cases. I mean, people ask me all the time because they know I'm an attorney who's, who's dealt with this work. Um, you know, how do I know when to call? And they'll give me different fact scenarios. And, and what they're indicating in those fact scenarios is not that they believe the child is in an imminent risk now. What they're saying is, I just have some free-floating concerns about this child's environment. And what we believe at Texas Public Policy Foundation is that the state, um, you know, the state's not actually the best to step into a family's home like that and provide support and surround that family with with uh, services and love that comes from the community and so we've started this session we we revamped foster care to make it community based and so we're having a a nonprofit that's responsible for foster care in each region and we believe that that system that that model can be expanded to prevention and early intervention and family preservation services such that when CPS receives one of these calls um, in addition to an investigator coming out who's sort of the police arm of the state to investigate whether there's actually been abuse or neglect you can also involve a local nonprofit that's whose job it is to surround the family with services through faith-based or other nonprofit groups um, but but importantly, the people who show up to help the family are not empowered to take the children. That's that, been a problem with our system, right, is that the people who come to say, I want to help you through our family-based safety services, CPS, uh, CPS's sort of helping arm, um, are, wear the same outfit and drive the same cars as the people who remove your children. So there's, there's a trust factor problem. Oh, I can so see that. If you're worried the person standing there asking you questions could decide to take your kids away, you're answering them trying to gear, what do I say to make them not do that versus, you know, can I openly communicate and tell you, I don't know how to handle this. I'm concerned about this. I wish someone would tell me how to do that. You might communicate better if you didn't have that. That's such a good point. Um, okay. Well, we were talking to in the break. Didn't Governor Abbott have on the Texas legislative, you know, agenda for this session something about foster care? We couldn't remember what it was actually. Yeah, he had an emergency item. It was the first emergency item he announced in his state of the state address, um, and it really manifested itself in, in, in four big bills, um, and then a whole probably about thirty-six more um, bills this session. So it's been a big. It was a busy session for foster care and CPS, but I mentioned the most important change, which is um, making foster care not not something that's run out of Austin, um, because Austin can't possibly take advantage of all the strengths in a community, can't possibly, and, and hasn't been good at uh, engaging foster families um, and, and supervising foster placements, as the federal court judge indicated. 
Okay, Brandon Logan, I want to tell our listeners again, I really encourage you to go to the Texas Public Policy Foundation's website, texaspolicy.com, and just click on either the the, uh, Center for Families and Children or put in the search bar, Brandon Logan, because I, I, I read about so many studies in preparing for our talk today that I would never, they honestly were counterintuitive to me. I had no idea how grim the foster care system was, how poor the outcomes were, and really how it just sounds like too many kids taken away in, in circumstances where a little bit of assistance and support to the families would enable the family to stay intact. And the last element, which I'm glad you mentioned too, was how much the uh, federal government incentivizes removal and ultimately adoption versus helping the family reunify. Right, and that's really that's the key. Why hasn't the state been involved in the front end of these problems with prevention, early intervention, and family preservation in the way that it should? And that's because there there are no federal matching funds for that. And so our whole system is directed at removing children and what happens with children after you remove them. And I want to mention one point, if I have time, that the burden of proof, that is the amount of evidence CPS must produce before it removes a child from a home by force, is less than 50-50. So basically, if, if CPS can provide any evidence at all that a child may be in, at risk, um, that's sufficient to remove a child from, from her home. And, and that would be okay, but the average length of time it takes to get that child back in the home is over 13 months. Oh. If we had a system where children could be removed, we could address situations quickly and put the child back uh, in a short period of time uh, it wouldn't be as damaging as the studies that were that were referenced in my paper. Wow. I, Brandon Logan, this was uh, eye-opening and enlightening. Thank you so very much for calling in tonight. All right. Thanks, Debbie. Okay. I really encourage all our listeners, if you can, if you have the time to go look and read this stuff, because you know everyone has a heart for children and wants children to be safe and not be in a dangerous environment, but there are political elements to the thinking in Washington and even here that disincentivize the local, the uh, state agencies from working to keep the family nurtured and together versus pulled apart. Are you, you going to say something? You- well, I just was going to say that uh, he talks about these faith-based organizations. And almost every time we've had a faith-based organization, they first of all bring some of the spiritual, psychological, emotional element, and government employees, by their very definition, cannot do that. And so that is the first issue to address. Second of all, once you can at least help people understand that I'm not here to take your children away, I'm here to help you keep your children, but maybe give you some guidance, then I think there are some real opportunities. So again, partnering with the government, with faith-based organizations, to me, are some really positive ways to deal with this. Another, I would suggest, is we do have broken families, but we also have extended families. And if the mother isn't doing a good job, maybe the grandmother would do a good job. But again, where the incentive right now is to pull the child out of the home, when in doubt, yank him out, and there's incentive financially, it doesn't keep it within the family structure. And sometimes looking for the extended family is in their answer that oftentimes seems to elude some of those individuals that are part of government service. Yeah. I don't know this area of law at all, but it seems like that should be almost written into the law intuitive. The first thing to do is look for surrounding family. You know, could the aunt or the, somebody uh, take this child in? I don't know if it's in the law or not, but just, I mean, I, I just honestly, folks, I, you know, I, I found this this talk by uh, this gentleman we just hung up with Te- uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, Brandon Logan. The talk was enlightening. That It's amazing that there were 
so many kind of perverse incentives built in um, that are being corrected in Texas. So I love that. Okay, so we still have two minutes um, and uh, before the top of the hour, and I just want to – so sometimes we have quizzes. No, I'm just kidding. But you know sometimes in college when you walk into a class and you realize, oh, my gosh, there's a quiz, like a pop quiz. Okay, so this is an interesting thing I, I've read about this week. Okay, here we go. So in the United States Congress, there are 239 Republicans – 193 Democrats, 193, one-third of all those Democrats, over one-third, come from the three states. What states? California. New York. Illinois. Close. California, New York, and I think Pocahontas. Oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Oh, <laughs> that, that's your tip from that Massachusetts? Elizabeth <laughs> <was with> Warren. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, seriously, I just thought that was, I saw that flash yeah. across yeah. the screen yeah. on, on Fonzie Fox, and I went back and I pulled out all the numbers and tallied them all up. So I was sure it was a true story. It really says a lot about the Democrat Party. I mean, a third of all their, uh, of their, you know, leftism comes from Let's three states. Let's give Lori half credit. I bet Illinois is fourth or fifth. Okay, yeah. In fact, if you add Illinois in, you're at 40%. Yeah. 40%. Well, the- and I will say Texas would have a vast, the vast majority of Republicans on the Republican side. Right. We would have more than what we have today if it weren't for the Voting Rights Act. There you go. So, I mean, the Voting Rights Act is horrible. And I'll bet... Or I mean, gerrymandering is the other problem. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. does California and New York have Voting Rights Act? No, they It do doesn't not. apply to of them. Of course not. Because so they're that, virtuous. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and, you know, so I mean, it, it works one way, not the other. Absolutely. As usual. Okay. Well, I have another quiz coming up after the break. Because I, I do... I've read some Rasmussen polling. It was so darn interesting. And it's actually going to tie into something we're going to talk about. So we're up to a, a break. And so I hope you'll hold on during the break and come back. We're going to talk about the Senate health care bill. Is Ted Cruz and others stand, right to stand up against it? So we'll talk to you after the top of the hour.